Hi, and welcome back to this episode of the AUA University podcast series. Today we're returning to the AUA 2018 stage and the take-home messages. Today's topic is endourology and stones, and then followed by infection and inflammation. I hope you enjoy this and continue to find exciting information on our podcast, and we are happy to continue serving you. Thank you and uh, good afternoon. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity to speak to you about uh, endourology and stones. Uh, This is a great conference. Um, Let's see. There we go. Um, There were several sessions, uh, three plenary sessions, seven moderator poster sessions, uh, several instructional courses, hands-on courses, skills enhancement courses. There was a plethora of things for uh, the attendance to uh, the participants to choose from this year. Uh, so Devon right in, um, I'll divide the, uh, the experience uh, into different uh, areas. Uh, so we'll start with new technologies. There are several abstracts, uh, as many as 13, uh, dealing with the disposable flexible uretoscopes um, out of several different centers uh, ex- uh, exploring the cost and the clinical util- utility of this new uh, technology. Uh, specifically, I'll point your attention to uh, the study from the group out of uh, Paris, France, led by Dr. Traxer and they compared uh, the deflection characteristics of the four different disposable uteroscopes compared to the uh, reusable scopes. And what they found was that without any instruments inside the scope, uh, the reusable scopes performed better, uh, whereas once you introduce something like a basket or a wire, the the reusable scopes worked much better. Now, moving on to lasers, uh, there's uh, two new technologies I'll call your attention to. The first is the Moses pulsed homium laser. So here in this video you can see uh, standard homium laser pulse delivered. The Moses technology developed uh, has uh, two peaks. Uh, The first parts the water uh, channel in front and the second delivers the uh, maximal energy peak to the uh, target which is the stone here. And the group out of uh, Montreal uh, led by Dr. Andonian uh, evaluated this technology. Slide is... Uh, Can you help me advance the uh, slide forward please? Thank you. Uh, so they uh, compared regular, um, they uh, randomized patients to receive uh, either the uh, Moses uh, technology or the regular uh, pulse-style laser. And if you could help me once again with the slide advancement, uh, that would be appreciated. Okay. 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 All right. Thank you. Uh, so what they noted was... Uh, shorter operative time and better fragmentation time with the MOSES technology compared to the standard laser uh, technology. Uh, now, on, out of uh, Germany and Hamburg, uh, another group uh, looked at the new uh, thulium laser fiber, which has a uh, distinct characteristic of having a longer pulse duration, and uh, compared this to the standard either uh, long pulse or short pulse homium laser fibers. And what they found was uh, much more efficient fragmentation of human stones in an in vitro model using the pulsed thulium laser fiber compared to the tra- traditional uh, homium laser fibers. Uh, there was only one new technology in the realm of uh, uh, lithotrips. So this was uh, a dual energy single probe lithotripter device, which uh, Dr. Lipkin and his group out of Duke University compared in an in vitro model. Uh, again, if you can help me advance the slide. Uh, thank you. And what they found, uh, if you go back one slide, please. Uh, okay. uh, one more back. 
And what they found was uh, the new dual energy probe uh, had a much more efficient stone fragmentation and clearance rate compared to the uh, other currently available lithotropes on the market today. Uh, moving forward, uh, in the realm of outcomes, Dr. Honig and his group out of uh, uh, the Smith Institute for Urology in New York uh, compared uh, uh, patients uh, with a high frailty score uh, uh, and those with a low frailty score to see if they could predict postoperative complications and uh, length of stay uh, in these patients. So they had two groups uh, of patients, um, either frail, uh, sorry, they had three groups, uh, frail, intermediate, um, or not frail patients, and they uh, examined the uh, postoperative outcomes in these patients. And what they noted was that uh, high frailty score was significantly associated with increased length of stay and uh, presence of postoperative complications, as well as the disposition of the patient uh, after hospitalization. Now, carrying forward the work done by Dr. Uh, Dwayne Baldwin out of uh, Loma Linda, uh, the group out of uh, Taipei, Taiwan at the uh, Catholic University performed five, uh, sorry, 59 fluoroless ureteroscopy procedures uh, in their patients over the course of about two years. And what they found was that it was, there was shorter operative time with a similar uh, stone clearance rate compared to the traditional conventional uh, ureteroscopy with fluoro. Now, in the realm of uh, diet and stone prevention, uh, Dr. Landman and Dr. Clayman out of the University of Irvine examined whether or not coconut water consumption can actually decrease your risk of forming stones. So they took two, uh, sorry, they took eight healthy volunteers, split them into two groups. Uh, the first group consuming two liters of coconut water for four days, the second group tap water two liters for four days, and compare the 24-hour urines afterwards. And what they found was that there was a significantly increased uh, if you could uh, help me advance the slide once again, my apologies. Keep going. Keep going. Okay, continue. All right. All right, and one more. One more. Thank you. Uh, what they found was uh, the citrate excretion in the patients consuming coconut water was markedly increased compared to uh, the patients consuming water alone. All right, so uh, there are several other devices that were examined to see if this could help increase the patient's compliance with uh, stone prevention. Uh, one is an app that was developed by, again, the group out of uh, Hamburg in Germany by Dr. Becker and Dr. Gross. Uh, this is an app that counseled the patient on fluid intake, dietary intakes, intake. The patients are able to log their fluid intake and their dietary intake into the uh, app. And the app sent reminders uh, about uh, what they were high on or low on, and also helps them. Uh, there was also an additional feature of a stent tracker built into the app. And what they found was this actually increased the patient's compliance, particularly with increased fluid intake, but not necessarily with uh, dietary compliance. Uh, similarly, uh, the group out of uh, University of Wisconsin uh, enrolled patients uh, to use either a dial cup uh, as you can see here, uh, smart bottle or reminder bands to see if that helped increase their intake of fluids. And what they found was that all three devices um, performed similarly in terms of in helping the patients increase their intake of fluids. And there was no significant difference between uh, any of the three devices. Uh, now moving on uh, and expanding uh, our knowledge of uh, the uh, impact of uh, microbes uh, on stone formation. Uh, Dr. Stern and his group out of uh, Montefiore and, uh, and Einstein University in New York uh, examined 
microbial diversity in genetic hypercalciuric rats compared to standard rats. And uh, what they found uh, on this chart here, you can uh, see that for normal standard rats, the biodiversity of microbes within the gut was significantly greater than uh, that for stone-forming rats. And furthermore, they found uh, that for the stone-forming rats, uh, there was a preponderance of certain species of bacteria, uh, the bacteroides specifically, uh, which have been associated with the gut flora in stone-forming humans as well. Uh, taking that further, uh, Dr. Miller and uh, Monger out of uh, Cleveland Clinic uh, performed a study uh, to determine uh, the, the effects of either high-fat um, high and high-sugar diet compared to antibiotics uh, on the gut flora for um, uh, stone-forming mice models. And what they found was um, decreased um, diversity of uh, microbes within the gut flora within three days in the antibiotic group and the high-fat, high-sugar group. But this was restored uh, by 12 days with uh, fecal transplant. Okay. Now, on to um, shockwave lithotripsy. Uh, there were two notable studies, uh, one I'll highlight here. Uh, the first is uh, examining the effect of uh, varying the frequency of fragmentation during shockwave lithotripsy. And this is an in vitro study. Uh, the authors uh, applied 1,000 shocks at 60 hertz and then 2,000 shocks at 120 hertz. And what they found was there was effective storm fragmentation and decreased operative time using this technique. Uh, the group out of uh, Japan uh, developed an in-house algorithm uh, to predict whether or not patients are able to pass their stones, and this performed quite well for their cohort of patients. And uh, this is a very interesting study that I think uh, other centers should try and uh, uh, emulate to see if uh, this um, model can be um, validated. Now, in terms of uh, AU education and, uh, and uh, their endeavors in trying to teach patients how to, um, trying to teach uh, practitioners uh, how to obtain their own access. Uh, Dr. Clayman again and his group uh, evaluated participants in three regional courses uh, on PCNL, and what they found was that approximately 25% of the participants applied what they learned uh, from the courses into their daily practice. And finally, on the question of to stent or not to stent uh, or not to stent after a ureteroscopy, uh, Dr. Parikh and his group out of Brown University developed an in-house algorithm based on their patients, and then over the course of a year. Uh, uh, applied it to uh, approximately 250 patients in their cohort. And what they found is that following this algorithm allowed them to avoid stents in approximately 42% of their patients. And uh, <clears throat> more importantly, there were no readmissions or secondary procedures as a result of avoiding stents uh, in their group of patients. And um, um, furthermore, uh, the group out of the uh, University of uh, Minnesota, <coughs> excuse me, uh, performed a Cochrane review, uh, which uh, again uh, dealt, uh, attempted to answer this question. Uh, they included 26 studies after a final, uh, starting from 5,200 uh, studies, they narrowed it down to 26 relevant studies. And uh, what they found was that uh, having a ureto stent does not necessarily decrease the number of, increase, decrease the number of unplanned visits or decrease the secondary, secondary procedures uh, that may be needed as, as a result of uh, the stones or or having a stent or not having a stent. And uh, uh, in contrast to the previous study, they did not find any appreciably increased uh, operative time as a result of place, placing a stent. All right, thank you. All right, the, the infection and inflammation track was uh, fairly robust. 
However, as I mentioned, um, it, uh, infection and inflammation involves uh, many, many focus areas, oncology, stones, and, and already in many of the presentations we've heard thus far. So there were over 300 presentations that involved infection. Um, there were many interesting and diverse um, areas, so it was very difficult for me to decide which areas to focus on. However, I uh, will look at some uh, abstracts related to post-surgical infection, uh, mechanism of hemorrhagic uh, cystitis, antibiotic resistance, which has been a hot topic and the effect on prostate biopsy infectious complications, um, phenotyping of pelvic pain, and specifically uh, Hunter's uh, ulcers phenotypes in, within interstitial cystitis, and uh, chronic pain um, pelvic syndrome uh, treatments or CALGI assessment, and finally, uh, the risks associated with combined urologic procedures. The first uh, abstract looking uh, at infection in uh, procedures was to determine the uh, effect of urologic complications uh, on the risk of prosthetic joint infection. So this was a, um, a retrospective cohort of um, population base from West, Western Ontario uh, that looked at the hip and knee replacements uh, between April um, 2003 and uh, approximately 10 years from that time. And what they did was then look at patients who had a urinary tract infection within two years of the time that they had their joint replacement or uh, had acute urinary retention within 30 days of their, of their joint replacement. So approximately 1% of patients uh, had a joint infection. And when you looked at uh, the uh, regression analysis to see the the relation to urinary tract infection, UTI was associated with an increased, increased risk of joint infection, but there was no association with the uh, acute urinary retention. Moving on to uh, uh, C, um, um, difficile infection in uh, radical cystectomy patients. This is from the NISQIP database, uh, looking at uh, radical cystectomy patients uh, from 2015 to 16. Uh, what we saw is that uh, almost 3% of patients um, uh, uh, developed C. difficile. Now, the independent risk factors ended up to be female sex and the presence of bleeding complications, whether they were intraoperative or postoperative. Um, uh, you would think also that length of stay uh, would be a factor. However, it, uh, it was a univariate factor, but was not an independent predictor. Moving on to stone disease, uh, uh, this group from Sao Paulo looked at uh, surgical decom uh, decompression uh, of uh, obstructive stones and looking at the factors that related to or the, that linked to uh, septic shock. Uh, in this group, only the uh, the leukocyte uh, serum or elevated serum leukocytes uh, was a uh, actual risk factor in this group. A group from uh, China looked more towards um, developing a model to predict sep sepsis in their one phase PCNLs. Um, in their group, there were uh, several factors that uh, correlated with with the development of sepsis, uh, diabetes mellitus, uh, irrigation rate, blood transfusion, residual stone, infectious stone. They did, however, come up with this nomogram uh, to uh, predict risk. So it'll be interesting to see whether this nomogram uh, can also be verified in other um, populations. But the real problem may be that there is a discordance between urine culture 
and the bacteria that is being harbored in the stone, whether it's underneath the biofilm or not. Um, Majid um, Razazadeh from uh, Winston-Salem looked at calculi um, and analyzed them and also the biofilms associated with these stones. Um, this, these are the results, but this, this really shows the story. When you look at the, um, the samples where the urine culture and or the stone were positive, you only see that there's a correlation in one of these samples. Otherwise, they are completely discordant. And some, uh, or the majority, have a biofilm present which can then protect or uh, shield the bacteria on the stone uh, from, from the urine. And this is a, a very pretty uh, electron micrograph looking at uh, bacteria on a stone. And this is bacteria coating a, uh, a biofilm and then a biofilm without any bacteria. The, the winner of the um, moderated poster session 10 um, was a, a very interesting paper and very close to my heart because being at a cancer center, I'm very concerned about radiation cystitis and, and the amount of consults and patient morbidity that we have. Uh, this, the group from Royal Oak had previously um, presented their radiation cystitis um, mouse model, noting that uh, radiating the, the mouse bladder, you could definitely see that there was a change, vascular changes uh, when you uh, look at the mouse bladders uh, 12 weeks after radiation. To translate this into the, the human, they began with the HUVEX cells, the umbilical vein endothelial cells, and were able to demonstrate that uh, cell functions such as decreased uh, proliferation and that you can also see um, a higher percentage of senescent cells in, in cells that have been uh, radiated. If you look at this, um, this figure, you can see um, you, these cells have been at day one, four, and seven after being radiated, and there's a significant difference uh, in the uh, proliferation rate of the cells, at, uh, especially at day seven. Um, when you look, and, and this is staining uh, with uh, beta-galactosidase, and you can see an increase in senescent cells, and that's what it's staining uh, as you get further or at higher doses of radiation. So we can imagine that that's probably what we're seeing in our patients as well. There was another hemorrhagic cystitis paper um, that uh, is talking about a, a novel um, a novel agent that is a uh, extract from a schistosome, which uh, in combination with IL-4 uh, may be more um, uh, more effective than mesna in, pre in preventing uh, iphosphamide-induced cystitis. And uh, there was uh, were a lot of uh, findings on this poster, but this is just demonstrating um, a decrease or, or a lower pain score in the mice that um, had this um, had this agent, uh, and then you can see in comparison with mesna, with mesna, it's at least equivalent. Let's move on to antibiotics, and this has been, a, of course, a hot, hot topic. Um, a group from uh, San Antonio and Baltimore looked at the intestinal microbiome and looking at the differences between patients who are harboring uh, fluoroquinolone-resistant E. coli, uh, they analyzed these rectal swabs and they saw that the patients that had the fluoroquinolone-resistant um, E. coli um, had differences in the, um, in the bacterial family prevalence. Um, 
they had more Enterobacter uh, and less of the Aramonad um, species. And this is um, represented graphically here uh, when you compare the ones with the resistance to uh, the ones that uh, do not have CIP resistance. And that has led all these problems with resistance and stewardship has led to many different strategies for uh, trying to select uh, and refine our, our antimicrobial prophylaxis for prostate cancer patients. And this is looking at next generation DNA sequencing. Um, this, this was 24 patients and utilizing a real time um, uh, PCR. Um, as you can imagine, this may be not feasible for for uh, all patients. This was the standard protocol, Levaquin plus ceftriaxone. However, based on the results, then additional antibiotics were, and including possibly antifungals were also added depending on the sensitivity uh, of the organisms that were I identified. Now, it was successful in that 23 of 24 patients um, did not have any infectious complications. There was only one cystitis several weeks after the biopsy. This is in comparison to looking at targeted prophylaxis and, empiric, and different empiric prophylaxis strategies uh, in that, you know, even um, targeted prophylaxis is not um, perfect in terms of eliminating sepsis. This uh, same group from San Antonio also looked at um, just supplementing with uh, antibiotic therapy based on your antibiogram. And that may be more feasible in, in places where they're maybe not able to do these more advanced analysis before uh, proceeding with prostate biopsy. Um, the real problem, though, is that we need to have um, drugs that are targeted uh, at, at other, um, at other um, uh, points of the uh, infection really prior to adherence, trying to um, disrupt. This, is, uh, this paper also was awarded the best poster in this session and, and looks at the mechanism for the pilus assembly. And you can imagine that if you can disrupt the assembly of the pilus, then there will not be bacterial adherence. Moving on to IC, chronic pelvic pain, I'd briefly like to mention the MAP net network and their genital pain phenotyping, and two interesting papers uh, in the um, Hunter's, uh, Hunter's ulcer uh, phenotyping realm. Um, this was uh, uh, genital pain uh, within the chronic pelvic pain syndrome group. Uh, and then the most important part of this is that um, with in both genders as in pain and sites of pain increased, there was a lot of overlapping with other pain syndromes, fibromyalgia, depression, uh, physical and mental health. Now this is extremely uh, uh, interesting as well. This was a, another winner um, from the Royal Oak Group looking at uh, personalizing um, the therapy for interstitial cystitis and identifying Hunter's ulcers patients without uh, requiring cystoscopy. Um, they previously have uh, published or, or began working on the bladder permeability risk score uh, and then again used samples from patients in combination with their scores and as you can see uh, this is a representation of how the controls and non-Hunter's ulcer patients differ uh, from the patients with Hunter's ulcer. So all this is without having to uh, perform a cystoscopic examination. Um, another paper looked at imaging, and this was, okay, okay, T1 imaging, uh, looking with the gadolinium, and there's some difference between um, controls and, again, Hunter's ulcer patients. 
And in the interest of time, I will like to go to the uh, infectious risks of, um, of more than one urologic procedure at one time. This is another uh, large national database. And what it demonstrated is that the combination of cystoscopy with either urethral and penile procedures and scrotal procedures was more likely to be associated with um, surgical site infections and, and implant procedures as well. And so that's a, a concern for those of us who do GU prosthetics. Thank you.